reading comes from Proverbs 24, verses 11 and 12, which, if you're in the Pew Bible, would be on page 546. Proverbs 24, beginning in verse 11. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we reverence you. We are but dust and yet made in the image of God. What a mystery. Dust. Made like God. And we are not like God. Because we stumble but you have a sure hand a steady you are a foundation and a rock and we behold you and we are thankful that while we were yet sinners you died for us that we might live for you so I pray as we come before you and we take up the, the word before us, that you would equip us, speak through our pastor now, give him words to say, give us ears to hear, and make us new and different and more like you because of what you're doing. And we rejoice in Jesus. Amen. Well, we take a break as we have... Routinely done the last couple of years on the third Sunday of January to commemorate Sanctity of Life Sunday. And we do so again this morning. I can't say that I look forward to this sermon every year. I would, even for all its difficulty, rather this morning be in First Timothy chapter 2, which we will pick up again next week. And I hope that you will join us as we continue in that study. But we're compelled to look at the truth of God's word as it pertains to, thank you brother, as it pertains to the sins of our nation. And we're compelled by the word this morning to do so from this book of Proverbs. And if you have your Bible open to Proverbs 24, which I hope that you do, I want you to look at verse 24. So 24, 24. Whoever says to the wicked, you are in the right will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. So what we're faced with is will we give an honest answer? What we're faced with is will we trust that the word of God rebuking the wicked 
rebuking the sinner will accomplish its purpose even in all the messiness, even in all the uncomfortableness of the topic of abortion. 34 years ago, President Ronald Reagan commemorated the first Sanctity of Life Sunday. That was following on the heels of 45 years ago, tomorrow, January 22nd, 1973, when the Supreme Court, the highest court of our land, made it not only permissible, but legal. In the case of Roe v. Wade, that a child in the womb, what was at that time considered the safest place in all of the world to be considered not human, and even then could be murdered. And since that day, 45 years ago, the mind-numbing number of millions of babies have been killed in America supported by law. The staggering numbers have reached a point where we really cannot um, use them to affect one's emotions. When I say the number 59 million, you have no capacity to equate that with something else. None of us have ever seen 59 million of anything. And that number is small compared to the fact if you would couple that with the pill and abortifacients. And then we could probably count that closer to the billions. March of 2013, the Financial Times reported the following statistics issued by Chinese government officials. Since implementation of their forced abortion policy in 1971, 47 years ago, the government of China reports their doctors have slaughtered 336 million little ones. That's 8 million murdered babies per year. And doing the math, that's 100 murdered babies every 4 seconds, non-stop. For 40 plus years. I don't know about you. But that doesn't do anything for me. And in a sense. It, it, we, we've reached so much blood. We're. We're fine with it. It doesn't affect us anymore. And yet should it. And I believe it should. According to the gospel of Jesus Christ. By best estimate, the numbers of abortion in America alone are more than 10 times the number of those Jews who were murdered during the Holocaust of World War II. The World Holocaust Remembrance Center from their website says this, For many of the survivors of the Holocaust, liberation proved to be an extremely painful experience. I want you to, I want you to think about this uh, Contrast or comparison between the Holocaust and abortion. Notice it says, for many of the survivors of the Holocaust, liberation, not, not being within the Holocaust, but liberation from the Holocaust proved to be an extremely painful experience. The transition from life under a reign of terror, brutality, starvation to a new quote unquote normal situation was frequently traumatic. During the first weeks of liberation, tens of thousands of survivors died of overeating epidemics and exhaustion. Many began facing the tragic significance of the events of the Holocaust and the loss of their families and homes. 
During the initial period following liberation, a great number of the survivors attempted to return to their original homes and communities. The vast majority, however, could not find any survivors from their families, and some even encountered manifestations of hostility and violence. Most survivors sought to leave Europe and build new lives elsewhere. Close quote. I think this might be the closest thing we can equate now with what's happening with abortion. Because the aftermath of abortion, of of 59 million plus, of 10 times the Holocaust, is something that only the grace of God through the church is going to be able to handle. The suffering that will continue to ensue is by the grace of God, the, the numbers as they are will continue to go down. But if we're, if we're to take away that big number and we're just to put a face, the statistics say that one out of every three women in America will have an abortion. That means if you just look around and divide this number of women by three, it's your neighbor. It's your coworker. Maybe it was you. Maybe it was your boyfriend that was part of this. Maybe it was the person in the seat next to you on the plane or the bus or wherever it might be. You see, the numbers are now to such an extent that it's not something that's just out there. It's it's walking by you every single day. And what is walking by you is the is the guilt, is the aftermath, is the terror that has come upon them following the murder of the unborn. We're looking in Proverbs 24 verse 12, 11 and 12 this morning. And I would encourage us to the understanding that the gospel fuels, which we'll see in verse 12, and dictates, which we'll see in verse 11, our interactions with those involved with abortion in any way. If you're taking notes this morning, I've just got two points and that's, uh, we'll have, we'll look at verse 11 and then we'll look at verse 12. Point number one from verse 11 is we are called to mission. We are called to mission. Notice what we're called to do here. Rescue and hold back. These are action verbs. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. And we don't have any indication from the writer of Proverbs of who they're speaking about. Who is stumbling to the slaughter? Who is to be rescued from being taken away to death? We we don't have a face to a name here. And yet if we were to take the time, if we had the time this morning, to look in the chapter of Proverbs 24 and even in the book of Proverbs, we would see, I believe, that the wise and the righteous, compared to the foolish and the wicked, are to be those who care about the oppressed of all kinds. So we can we can put any person, believer, unbeliever, Underneath the heading of those who are to be rescued or held back. We could say unbeliever and those who are wandering in their blind sin to hell. Call them back with the gospel. Those who are believers and yet in their unrepentance or will not repent. We call them back. We hold them back. So we can, we can put people who are under the giving themselves to abortion or under the... Uh, post-traumatic stress, if you will, of abortion underneath that heading of those we are to be rescuing and holding back. 
In fact, Scripture tells us that it should be, not only should be, it must be the testimony of the Christian that we care for not only the oppressed, but we care for the wicked. And we care for the unrepentant. And all who are actively or blindly even denying the truth of God, more even than we should care about our own life. Meaning those who are actively engaged in the work of abortion. And, and, and picture the person that may be to the greatest extent involved in that. Picture the, the doctor who has committed thousands of abortions and does so on a weekly basis. That person who everything in our soul wants to hate is the person that scripture says, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we should care about more than myself, more than ourselves. That's the testimony of the believer according to scripture. A few references for you. Proverbs 11, 30 and 31. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Whoever captures souls is wise. Proverbs 14, 25. A truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lives is deceitful. Daniel 12.3, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. James 5.19 and 20, my brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wondering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Jude 123, save others by snatching them out of the fire to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. 1 Corinthians 9, 19-22, Paul, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people. Notice that by all means, I might save some Christians then, are those who care about life and death. And not just physical life and physical death, but on a greater scale, eternal life and eternal death. So our mission that we are called to is first and foremost to the soul and second of all, to the body. Our tools for rescue, firstly and all the way to the last, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the need for rescuing is much more than prohibiting an abortion. This is what I'm speaking about. The the aftermath of this is something only the gospel can help a person cover and carry. Now, what we need to be warned about here is that we're not advocating for a social gospel. Late 19th century, early 20th century, even affected now today, was this thought that We, uh, those that are believers, are to be actively involved in in affecting social justice. Now, I would amen that. I think that's something that we should be involved with. However, not to the detriment of the calling of sinners to repent and turn to Christ in saving faith. Because a social gospel 
devoid of the preaching of the call to repentance and turning to Christ and saving faith is a false gospel. So we first preach turn because that is the only thing that affects long-term social change. We can, we can change the rhetoric around abortion. We can change the law of this land and yet have nothing ultimately changed because the heart is not that which has been changed. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is that which can only change the heart. Now looking at verse 11 here. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to slaughter. The picture um, that comes to my mind, and maybe yours as well, you may have heard this analogy, is, is a blind man in a cold evening. And all he feels is the coldness. All he feels is the cool air. And as the temperature drops and he's walking across the snow, the only thing he knows is, I must have warmth. And therefore, what he does is he he feels the warmth that is in front of him and he moves toward it. And yet, the person that can see recognizes that the warmth they are going toward is, is a pit of fire. And there it burns brightly and warmly, but deadly. And our, our call as believers in Jesus Christ is to say, no. Wrong direction. There is no warmth there. Only Death. And we, we, if need be, not necessarily physically, but we, if that was a friend of ours and literally a blind person was walking toward a, a pit of fire, we'd pull them back physically and say, no, 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 no. Let me show you another way. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the tool which we use then to call a person and say, no, no, not that way. It will only lead to your Slaughter. Because what is taking away? That's the question that may come to our mind. Those who are being taken away, that's, that's this, this language of something else is taking this person. And what is it? And, and what it is, is their own wickedness. These sinners need to be rescued by the blood of Jesus Christ from their own wickedness that is dragging them into the pit of hell. The late Joseph Sobrin uh, he was a syndicated columnist and he wrote for the National Review. He was a Catholic gentleman, said this. Being self-centered, wickedness, sin, leads inevitably to hating others who are obstacles to selfish desires. Sobrim was one who wrote most clearly in his day. And therefore his writing is oftentimes viewed with great animosity. Because he says this, continued, what is Natural in fallen human nature easily descends to the diabolical. And our modern post-Christian liberal culture treats the self-centered life as normal. Rejecting abortion laws as tyrannical impositions on what has been called the imperial self. The wickedness of our heart says me. Me, 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 me. I'm most important. I'm most to be worshipped and delighted in. And therefore it leads even to the point of diabolical that anything including the human child that stands in my way must be removed. So what is the answer? Well, the answer is the word of God. Psalm 107, 19 through 20. 
Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their stress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. The word of truth is the tool that is used. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only means by which we are saved. And therefore, as believers in Jesus Christ, we should be those who are standing near in front of guarding that pit and calling out sin in order that men and women might repent and be saved. And the bloodiest and the dirtiest and the most well-respected sin of our day is the murder of the unborn. Point number two, verse 12. Point number two, no sin unseen. Notice it says, if you say, behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Christian, there's no excuse for apathy. There's no room for turning a blind eye toward public wickedness. That's what is being spoken about here. We don't know of private things that happen until they become public, but public wickedness should be called out for its public wickedness. Notice, though, the the driving force behind why we are involved, the driving force for why we proclaim the gospel is because the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us God is sovereign. Notice what it says. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Meaning, does not God know everything, including the the extent of the wickedness of our own hearts, which is beyond what we know, Scripture tells us in Jeremiah. And it goes further. Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? God knows everything. He's omniscient. There's nothing that is outside the knowing power of God. And then it continues. And will he not repay man? Will he not take all that he knows and judge rightly? What, what is being advocated for here is the fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and the fear of God is that which the wicked have sought and continually seek to move out of the limelight. Psalm 36, 1 through 2. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. He flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. Brothers and sisters, we have got to restore the gospel of Jesus Christ in its fullness. And an aspect that has been lost in this culture of America is the preaching against sin. If there is, if there is no sin, if your sin is but small, if it's just a mistake, if it's just an oops, then who really cares? It's a stubbing of your toe on the sidewalk. It'll, it'll get better. But if our sin is against a holy God, and if that sin is that which prohibits us from eternity in heaven, then brothers and sisters, we have got to restore the calling of sinners to repentance. 
For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. Therefore, part of the preaching of the gospel is to hold the sin before the person's eyes and say, No, your iniquity is found out by God. That the all-knowing, seeing God will repay. And that is as true for the unbeliever as it's true for the believer. Since Genesis 3, the devil is in the details of rhetoric. Notice in Genesis 3, God tells them in Genesis 2, don't eat of this particular tree. And Genesis 3, the devil slides in his false rhetoric and says, does he not even say you can touch it? The devil's in the details of rhetoric and that is what is is prevalent in our culture. It's prevalent in my home. It's prevalent in your home. It's prevalent in your heart. It's prevalent in my heart. It's prevalent in the unbeliever's heart. That we change our language about sin in order to flatter ourselves that our sin is not as bad as it should be. So we say, I'm attracted to another individual. Well, when you say that, when we say that, we typically don't mean we just think they're a nice looking person. What we're actually saying is we are lusting. We are committing fornication. We are committing adultery. And when you look at a brother and you say that's not attraction, that's lust, then we have to confront ourselves with how God deals with lust. And the shame that comes over us when we recognize our sin before God is a grace to say, turn from it. We say, I'm sorry, I wasn't clear in my communication. What we're actually saying is, oftentimes, I was lying. But we don't want to be known as a liar. We flatter ourselves. We call it abortion. Let's go back to the Bible. And what does the Bible call it? It calls it slaughter. Murder, killing. I can guarantee you that the cult, that the, the public perspective would change if you say 59 million were slaughtered. We call it concern. The Bible oftentimes calls it worry or fear or anxiety. We call it being tired when actually the Bible may call it at times being lazy or shunning our responsibility. We say there's been a lot of work lately when actually the Bible might call it idolatry and a love of money. We say we've had a lack of prayer or Bible time in our life when actuality it's been idolatry and pride. Let's not flatter ourselves here. Let us use biblical language because only then does the gospel really come to bear in all its power and give us freedom from that. Does it then come to bear and say there is hope in the shed blood of Jesus Christ to cover that sin? It turns our eyes away from ourselves and turns us toward Him. It relieves the, the shame that is there. Genesis 4. Murder entered the scene of the world. Cain and Abel. And yet Christ being murdered by the hands of wicked men is the blood that was spilt to cover even the shedding of blood in murder. You see, the gospel is so wonderful that we can't make it any better. And when we try to 
pull it back down through our own flattery of our sin. We're, we're actually watering down the wonder of Jesus Christ. Let's not do that. Let's not do that for our unbelieving friends. And let's not do that for our believing brothers and sisters. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. To say anything else to a wicked person is to not be loving to them. So, I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you're sitting here and thinking, this is a sermon. We should have stayed home. Maybe you're, maybe you're here this morning and this is the first time somebody's told you that the abortion you were involved with or assisted with is murder. And the guilt upon your heart is more than maybe you can bear at the moment. And I simply want to tell you that the only hope for you to carry that is in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That if you will repent of your sin, if you will recognize that your sin is is a rebellion against God and His holiness, that He has provided a way for you to to remove the shame and the guilt of sin, to restore to you what has been taken away by the, the diabolical nature of that sin or any other, and that His blood alone can wash away the sin and carry the guilt. And because He rose from the dead on the third day, your eternal life is guaranteed. And it is one where the pain of your sin will be no longer. The tears over your sin will be no longer. And that the hope is not to look to yourself to carry the pain, but to look to Christ who has and will carry it for you. So will you repent and will you look to Christ? It's the last place that you would think to look and it's the only true place to look. Oh, I pray that might be your testimony this morning. Let's close with a bit of application here. The gospel fuels and dictates our interactions with those involved with abortion in any way. Notice the terminology He perceives, he knows, he repays. The wise, the righteous, those living under the Lordship of Christ, believers in Jesus Christ, you this morning, we are called to and enabled by his grace to have strength amidst adversity. What we're called to do, the rescue mission we're called to, is not an easy one. It's an adverse one. But verse 10 says, if we faint in the day of adversity, our strength is small. The character of Christ, the mind of Christ has been implanted in you at conversion at the, at the time when you were born again and it enables you to have strength in the midst of adversity and the initial adversity probably will not be from without, meaning people saying stop working against abortion. It'll probably be from within. Apathy. I, I don't want to be involved in this. I want to just close my eyes to it. Nobody likes blood. It's icky. It's gross. The dirt of sin. And yet scripture says by the grace of God. We can be involved and we will be. And he will strengthen us for this rescue mission. As Christ cared for the souls of the poor and needy. Before he cared for their physical needs. We must do and are enabled even by the gospel of Jesus Christ to do the same. The great hymn of the faith rescue the perishing. Was written by 
a young lady who had faced much adversity. Not only in her private life, many of you would know that she was blind shortly after birth. And she then went on to do much for the kingdom. She was working in the New York City mission, blind, speaking to people within the mission. And following her her testimony and encouraging these brothers and sisters in the Lord, she was reflecting on Luke 14, the word of scripture being, then compelled, he's saying, compel them to come from the highways and byways. Compel them to come to Christ. And she wrote the great hymn of the faith, Rescue the Perishing. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Weep over the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, Jesus is merciful, Jesus will save. Though they are slighting him, still he is waiting, waiting the penitent child to receive. Plead with them earnestly, plead with them gently, he will forgive if they only believe. Rescue the perishing, duty demands it. Strength for thy labor the Lord will provide. Back to the narrow way, patiently win them. Tell the poor wanderer a savior has died. The great uh, missionary C.T. Studd said the famous quote, Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. So what is the rescue shop for us? Before that pit of hell. Well, It's going to look like a number of things for every one of us, depending upon where we are and what we have. For some, it may be volunteering at the Mom Center here in Fredericksburg. For others, it may be giving financially. For others, it's educating through writing or public policy or counseling. For all of us, it's prayer. We can pray. And the power of God that is at work in prayer. And and for all of us, we can minister the word of hope through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that will shift 59 million. That's the only thing that will restore the, the sorrow and the guilt of 59 million to something that will be used for the glory of God. I don't know how that can possibly be, but that's what the word of God says. So brothers and sisters, as we ever do every year, let us continue to remember that the gospel of Jesus Christ is that which drives us and fuels us and even dictates for us how we might minister to those who are under the the burden and guilt of this murderous practice that is abortion. We thank him that he has saved us because we were once the same. We may, you may not this morning have ever been involved in abortion. You might just be a young child, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. And yet, whenever you have looked upon someone with hatred in your heart, God says you've committed murder and the blood of Christ was shed for that sin as well. We're all murderous people in some way, shape, or form. And we thank him and praise him that he has saved us. Let's pray. Father, this is not a light topic. Sin is never one. Father, we're going to walk out this morning. We're going to drive past cars and restaurants, other churches, homes, filled with people who are under the the bondage of sin, who need rescuing by the shed blood and saving power of Jesus Christ. 
Father, it's, it's a, it's a glory and a wonder that you would invite us as your children to be involved in the rescue work that you have affected for this world. That you would have us be involved with, but not the final say on who is rescued. Oh, Father, we thank you that we were called, we, we've been given the message, we've been given the power, we've been given the grace to do the work of the mission. And yet the fruit, the, the effectiveness of it is in your hands. And we're so grateful for that because we would, we would fail miserably if it was up to us. Father, we, we ask and pray that you would bring an end to abortion. But we ask even in the same breath that you might, you might have mercy on the suffering of the many that have been involved. From the abortion doctor. To the 14 year old young lady. To the 15 year old young man. And that you would. Open their eyes. To the truth of Jesus Christ. That can carry. The load that. That many will spend the rest of their lives. Trying to dodge. And trying to medicate. And there will be many, Father, who have been involved in, and just don't care. It doesn't prick them at all that what they have done is wickedness. And we ask that by the gospel of Jesus Christ, preached faithfully to them by someone, neighbor, co-worker, family, friend, that you would use that, the saving power of God, to open their eyes and draw them in repentance to saving faith. Father, we thank you that you love us enough to send your son to die for us. We thank you, Father, that you have given us the grace to live this week, whatever our sin may have been, knowing that it's been covered, knowing that it has been paid for, knowing that you have given us the gift of your spirit to be able to walk in newness of life this week. Help us and give us strength and grace to be those who are continually seeking you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. For your glory and your glory alone we pray. Amen.